giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Don DeLatt, Managing Director of the ThoughtBot Ignite team. Don, thanks for joining me. Hi, thanks for having me. Ignite is one of the examples I always use when I talk about why we split up into teams the way that we did and and what the benefits are, Don. So why don't you uh, tell people what, what Ignite actually does? Cool. Yeah. So the Ignite team, we work with entrepreneurs and non-technical startup founders, in some cases experienced startup founders, as well as innovation teams within existing organizations. And we work with them to validate their product ideas and deliver very, you know, sort of initial versions of their products to continue that validation process. You know, we provide all kinds of services around that. From a validation perspective, you know, we use product sprint methodology to sort of understand the opportunity, understand the market, the problem, come up with solutions, you know, all those things to arrive at some ideas and some solutions that we can then quickly prototype and then test with with users, target users, sort of depending on who we've decided their customer is or who they've decided their customer is. And I mean, that's like very high level. Um, I'm happy to like get into more detail about what what our discovery sprints are like. But uh, after that, then we would go into, like I said, continued validation, but through actual like product launches. So sometimes that looks like proof of concepts. Sometimes that's, you know, first MVPs. But either way, we focus in on, you know, a set of goals. And that could be a certain number of users onboarded to the platform. It could be getting that next round of investment funding. But, you know, it's pretty straightforward, not a whole lot of complexity and focused on, you know, getting a product and company to to that next best stage. Yeah. One of the reasons why I use Ignite is that it's on one end of the spectrum. It's at the extreme end of the spectrum. Last week, I talked to Josh, who's on the other end of Boost, where we're working on existing products with existing teams. And Ignite is all the way on the other side, which is sometimes we're not even writing any code at all. We're just validating an idea the work that Ignite does has always been a very important part of what ThoughtBot does, but it was it's a big challenge to go from a product where maybe you're you have, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of users and a large team and you're doing development as a developer or designer. Maybe it's healthcare or something super complex. And then to the next week where you're working on something that is going to get into market very quickly, maybe is totally unproven. Just the things you need to do in that environment and the way that you need to work can be a little bit different. And so allowing the ThoughtBot designers and developers to focus on the particular needs of the Ignite type clients, I think you know we have seen, and, and I think we'll continue to see it as people even get more used to it, is that it has a direct benefit to our clients as well. Like the best thing might not always be to write a Rails app, but if you take a developer who was on a Rails app on Friday or a Thursday, and then they start on a new project on Monday, 
chances are they're expecting to ride a Rails app. Mm -hmm. That's a really important observation and and distinction Mm -hmm. about like what our developers do compared to other developers at ThoughtBot. We've always, I've always said that selling any kind of project or working with new clients with any type of project, whether it's very early stage or, you know, that enterprise client that we all wear like our product consulting hats or, you know, we're product consultants first. And then, you know, we have sort of our toolkit, but I think that is the most true, at least from my experience in the Ignite team. Mm -hmm. And we've even talked about and in some cases have you know been able to sort of blur the lines even more between designers and developers because first and foremost you're like coming to the problem sort of thinking about it exactly like how you're talking about like what is it going to take to make this product launch successful it might not involve writing very much code And we might not discover that until after we've been working together for a couple of weeks and started to validate some of the ideas we have. And so being able to, you know, have that sort of adaptability and, you know, really focus on the consulting and strategy aspect of things is super important. So if there is a typical or Ignite client that we're working with, what does it look like? I would say... A typical, so who we've engaged the most with are non-technical founders um, and entrepreneurs. And I say non-technical, but what I really mean is they haven't had the experience of launching a product and mm-hmm. sort of going through that process. A and, digital product. Yeah, a digital product. Yeah. So yeah, for lack of a better way to describe them, non-technical, because there's a lot of sort of work involved in helping them understand product strategy and technical architecting and you know everything that happens in between. So that's who we've been able to work with um, primarily while We've also like worked with other types of clients. What is typically the first step with clients? At what stage are they at, and what what is the first step that we're taking them through? The sales process is a little bit different. We're not talking about requirements, and we're mm-hmm. not exactly sort of talking about what the end product looks like. If the conversation is sort of going that way, we're usually trying to sort of you know, bring it back a little bit and and keep things more high level just to make sure that we have a really good sense of what it is that we should try to do. So the sales process is, you know, we're already starting to dig into validation processes and making sure that our clients are able to define their customers and define the problem and um, have started to think about their value proposition from a business perspective and have sort of made other considerations that through all of our experience, um, all the years that we have experience with shipping products, make sure that the client sort of understands, you know, at least at a very high level, what the big components for success are going to be. And if they haven't started to make decisions about those things, that they know that we can help them do that. So that conversation is already starting in the sales process, which is great because, you know, we can get the team involved and everybody starts sort of wrapping their head around the problem. And, you know, by the time that we actually kick off the project, we're really excited because we all, you know, are ready and we, we have our ideas for what we can do together. Um, but the first, the first stage is usually always what we call a discovery sprint. So we've been doing product design sprints for a long time at ThoughtBot. 
And we've always been iterative with everything we do, but with product design sprints, especially because every single one of them is unique. You know, you have to kind of figure out either what exercises you're going to do that make the most sense for, you know, this client and this project. We, we had, I guess, just sort of a bigger iteration of the product design sprint as a whole. And we've moved into this concept of a discovery sprint or a discovery phase. And it allows us to do a couple of things. So the product design sprint was largely modeled after the Google Ventures sprint, which is this intensive like five-day process where you quickly understand the problem, come up with some solutions together, prototype and test within five days. We've elongated that process a little bit. So we definitely do two weeks, sometimes four, if there's a lot to sort of uncover and make sure we understand about the market before we start writing code or before we start, you know, doing the next phase of work together. And we kick off with a lot of the same processes. So like I keep saying, making sure you understand the problem, making sure you've defined, you know, the customer, the opportunities. In some cases, at least with our clients, we're actually doing lean model canvas work because our not our clients haven't always sort of thought through, you know, how they're going to make money off of this product and what their competitive landscape looks like and mm-hmm. things like that. We incorporate a lot of that um, sort of business strategy into the product strategy work that we're doing during this phase. Um, But yeah, the first sort of week of a discovery sprint is usually those kind of exercises working together through all this sort of institutional knowledge that the client might have because, you know, usually they're experiencing this problem or they've been in this industry and they know what the problem their customers are. And so they can talk a lot about it. And then we move into some of the more traditional like product design sprint phases. So diverge exercises, converge exercises that help us to like come up with with a bunch of ideas for what the product should be or should do. And then decide as a group which ones are the strongest so that we can move into prototyping. We prototype, we test with either existing sort of customers in this space or um, we get anonymous users based on you know certain demographics that are important to validate the concept with, and then we test. And then we do that kind of iteratively throughout the process to make sure that we're capturing as much data as we can to feel confident about you know how validation mm-hmm. is going. Or in some cases, you know, it might make sense for us to think about the next phase of validation actually being more like a proof of concept. And so we can jump into that really quickly, depending on how validation is going. Um, A lot of times at the end of a discovery sprint, we've incorporated some sort of technical planning and architecting into the process. Um, Sometimes, you know, we have to sort of validate that that the the launch approach is going to work from a technical perspective. And so that's the kind of research that our developer would be doing like in this process. And by the end of this phase, we have a sort of presentation of our findings, an architectural diagram, if that's sort of where we're leaning or where we, we would recommend the next stage sort of go, we would present all that information and make a decision. Sometimes we invalidate, you know, we largely invalidate some of the ideas that we came up with and we have to go back to the drawing board. Have we worked with any clients recently that had a major invalidation where they really needed to go back to the drawing board based on what we learned with the whole concept? 
we did have a have a client that we worked with this year that we didn't invalidate things during the sprint, mm-hmm. but not far into the product build, we realized that we were going to need some other sort of infrastructure in place in order for that product to be successful. So we actually did a more traditional product design sprint with this client. Mm-hmm. Part of the reasoning was, and this product idea uh, was sort of in the real estate space. <laughs> mm-hmm. The idea was to sort of open up the market a little bit by, I, w- I don't want to say eliminating, but I guess in a way, eliminating certain aspects of what like a realtor um, might do in the process of buying and selling real estate. It is possible to just like knock on somebody's door and like ask them if you can buy their house. And then the, the you know, sort of transaction is facilitated through a realtor. But this would sort of open up the possibility of this happening digitally through a product. So there's certain uh, data that you can pull from, you know, real estate sites out there that let you know certain things about a property. And this is public information. Anybody can find it. And the concept was to have homeowners who might potentially be interested in, you know, selling their properties mm-hmm you know, be on the platform and have their homes be available to anybody that might be looking um, or vice versa. Like, you know, someone who's buying could get on mm-hmm. the platform, see what kind of um, homes are in their area. Maybe they have a particular area that they want to buy in and essentially cut out the realtor in that they could go directly to the property owner and inquire about their home or see if they might be interested in selling it. So that was at a high level, the product idea Um, We did a more traditional sprint with them because the client was obviously very familiar with this space and really understood the opportunity well. And there's not a lot of competitors in this space, in the U.S. at least. Mm -hmm. Our goal was ultimately to get to a plan for MVP. And so we spent time validating like you know, the user experience and um, at a high level, like making sure that uh, we were confident and moving forward with everything. And we felt like we got, you know, validation for that. And we got started on the project and we realized there's actually a lot to this space. It's very heavily, if not regulated, there's all sorts of processes in place, right, that require mm-hmm. very specific people and roles to accomplish, you know, different things and facilitate the process. It's also because of, you know, the role that a realtor has played for so long, people aren't very educated on what this process could be like, um, you know, buying and Mm -hmm. selling homes, especially with like a direct transaction. And so there was way more to uncover and to understand and to work through on the business side than we had initially anticipated. And so we decided to quickly bring in uh, somebody to focus on product strategy while we were also iteratively working through um, an MVP launch. Mm-hmm. So we you know, decided to test as often as we can and sort of constantly be sort of working through like actually on a weekly basis you know, what it was that we were building, making sure that that it aligned with what we were learning in real time, essentially, 
the product strategist came on and started to continue some of the competitor research that we had started in the product design sprints, really try to understand the market and try to work very directly with the clients who were who were both, you know, in real estate to quickly make decisions about the direction that we were going in while we were also iterating on this product idea. Mm-hmm. About sort of, you know, I would say halfway through because this was which is kind of standard to ignite a 12 to 16 week uh, MVP launch. So about halfway through that, about six weeks in, we decided that we needed to continue validating actually with a working prototype mm-hmm. um, as opposed to kind of continuing to chug along until we got to MVP launch and kind of s- just see what happens. That was feeling too risky as we were learning more and more about the market. So yeah, I wouldn't say like we invalidated anything, but we, as we continued to validate and as we started to build iteratively, realized that we needed to spend a lot more time on validating the product idea and that it made sense to do that with a working product. And so we kind of pivoted in that way um, Mm -hmm. once we had started building. Yeah, that's cool. I often say that it's fairly rare that we completely invalidate the core of Mm -hmm. someone's idea, but it's not at all rare that it changes based on what everyone is learning along the way, whether that be in the sprint, in a product design sprint or, or a discovery sprint. And I think that's one of the things that not only does it make products more successful because you're reducing risk and you're, you're changing them based on the things that you learn but I also think it leads to the kind of working environment that I want to be a part of where it's like very collaborative. Everyone's building off of each other's ideas. We're, we're, we're changing based on what we learn rapidly. Um, I really love doing that. Yeah. I wanted to tell you all about something I've been working on quietly for the past year or so, and that's Agency U. Agency U is a membership-based program where I work one-on-one with a small group of agency founders and leaders toward their business goals. We do one-on-one coaching sessions and also monthly group meetings. We start with goal setting, advice, and problem solving based on my experiences over the last 18 years of running ThoughtBot. As we progress as a group, we all get to know each other more, and many of the Agency U members are now working on client projects together and even referring work to each other. Whether you're struggling to grow an agency, taking it to the next level and having growing pains, or a solo founder who just needs someone to talk to, in my 18 years of leading and growing ThoughtBot, I've seen and learned from a lot of different situations, and I'd be happy to work with you. Learn more and sign up today at thoughtbot.com slash agency U. That's A-G-E-N-C-Y, the letter U. And you know, it's funny that you, what you just said about like learning versus invalidating. Mm -hmm. I literally just got off of a call with somebody right before, you know, I joined this and we touched on that exact same thing. You know, they've been building a prototype and, and going through their own sort of validation phases And this person pointed out that they didn't want to call the work that they had been doing validation, uh, that they wanted to call it learning. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was very poignant. I, you know, I I feel like I call it continued validation, you know, when I'm talking about delivering a proof of concept or initial MVP, because really 
that's what it is. But I think a better way to say it is just learning. Yeah, You're learning from the process and from your market. And it's all at the same time. It's not, you know, it's, it's very agile in that way. One of the reasons, sort of meta reasons why I like that from a ThoughtBot perspective is that oftentimes founders in particular can be very precious about their mm-hmm. ideas and or, or not want to give up. And so this idea of like, oh, it could be potentially be invalidated is almost like a sort of a confrontational tension or, or something that even when they are shown something, they might not be willing to adjust because it's not their original idea. And the word of lear- learning is just sort of subtly de-escalates that a little bit. It's like, what have we learned? <laughs> have you learned, you know, have we learned something that we can take into play? It's not invalidating the idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find that um, using the term like de-risking does a mm-hmm. similar thing mm-hmm. um, because whether or not you're an investor, that's a term that I think everybody can kind of understand. Like, let's try to learn from and then and lower the risk of us not being successful with with each sort of step we take. Like, the ultimate goal is product success and business success, and we want to get people there. But we want to make sure we do it the right way. And we want to make sure that, you know, all the decisions that we're making early on have, you know, positive long, long-term effects. So yeah, de-risking and learning. I think I'm going to change the way I talk about validation now. <laughs> <laughs> so what else is Ignite sort of working towards now? I know that you have everywhere at ThoughtBot, we've got a bunch of open positions open. So you're actively hiring, right? Yeah, so kind of going back to what you were saying and what we were talking about earlier, a lot of what we've been sort of thinking through on the development side is like what skills are really necessary and important for our developers to have for the types of projects and the type of work that we're doing. We made an assumption and have been working through learning Uh, whether or not that assumption is true, that we don't necessarily need, you know, a ton of like backend Rails expertise to be able to deliver products in the way that that we're thinking. Mm -hmm. Rails has always been really good with MVPs, really good for MVPs and speed to market and things like that. But I think that we are thinking through how we can be even more agile and iterative with with product delivery. So we're leaning towards skill sets that focus on the front end. Mm-hmm. So delivering that like really great consumer or user experience on the front end because in MVP and sort of startup space is incredibly competitive nowadays. Like we have to be thinking through, I think, more than than what we did maybe 10 years ago when we were delivering MVPs for startups. So we're focusing more on the front end. We're focusing more on the on the user experience. And, and we're thinking through how we can utilize existing tooling on the back end to support the products that we're building, mm-hmm. which, you know, we assume is going to require a lot less particular expertise in a back end language like Rails and a lot more sort of openness to making decisions that make the most sense for that product idea in particular. So whether that's like pulling together existing tools on the back end. Yeah, well, I, I find it useful to think about like, or, or one way to 
articulate this as mobile apps in particular, because some people might not get the distinction like with a web app, what is the difference between the front end and the back end? I think it's maybe a little bit more obvious with things like React and, and that kind of thing. But if you take a mobile app, for example, in order to actually build and launch a mobile app, we typically need to build the mobile app. And then that mobile app needs to talk to servers in the back, yep. on the backside. And put quite plainly, if we have a Rails developer on the project and a mobile developer on the project, that's two people. And if instead we can have a mobile developer who is putting together some backend services from companies like Google or Twilio or um, those kinds of things to get to the next stage of the company, that's it's going to be a lot cheaper and, and potentially faster for the stage that that company is at. Yeah. And it makes sense then. That doesn't mean that they won't ever need a backend of their own, right? Yeah. Well, and you know, I'm learning more and more too that making those kinds of decisions now doesn't necessarily mean that it can't scale. Mm-hmm. Even with the services that we pull together for the backend at that time when we do the initial launch, you know, like AWS for instance, like has right. a ton of capability for initial launches and and for scaling. So there's a lot of options. That's what's become more important to us when we think through the development expertise on our team is not only like experience with delivering early stage products because you know you're kind of like in that mindset, but openness to working with different technologies that that would allow you to like you're saying, plug into these different tools and servers and systems that already are working like for a particular industry, for instance. I mean, like e-commerce is is one that, mm-hmm. you know, you think of where we definitely don't want to be reinventing <laughs> any wheels there from, from a conceptual perspective, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and from a competitive perspective, yes. But from a like backend development and um, architectural perspective, there's so much that we can utilize that already exists. So yeah, we, we're hiring. Uh, I think that was your original <laughs> question. And, and we have open developer positions, which is why I was focused on that. Our development focus is less around like, you know, what you've historically seen at ThoughtBot, which is we need Rails developers. We need full stack developers who, you know, can for sure um, stand up a custom backend. And we've shifted to, you know, we definitely need to focus on the front end. We need that expertise um, and we need some some adaptability um, around, you know, backend tooling and being able to pull stuff together that way. So you were the managing director of the Austin studio and now you're the managing director of the Ignite team. Before that, you were a designer. How has this transition compared to prior transitions that you've been a part of? I mean, I I think the biggest difference, and this has been just as challenging as it has been rewarding and I think positive for our business, is the fact that I can focus on expanding our services and expanding our expertise in this one area you know, before we had the local studios and we could work across the entire sort of product lifecycle. 
And from a sales and business development perspective, that both gave me a varied, you know, sort of experience. Mm -hmm. And it gave me a lot of sort of levers to pull, especially with the teams and, and making sure that we were all kind of working on different things and able to sort of cycle through different types of projects. But that's hard to do. Uh, and it's a lot of work mm-hmm. <laughs> and being able to focus in on one stage of the product life cycle and sort of a set of, of clients. And like I said, expand our expertise in that area has been really challenging and really rewarding. We've been able to sort of sink our teeth in and sort of imagine what possibilities are here and explore markets that we haven't before and actually, you know, think through how we can build partnerships with people and really become experts in this space in a way that we haven't been able to in the past because there hasn't been like dedicated time and dedicated effort um, in particular. So the transition has been really great in that way. I'm really excited about it. Well, that's good. Uh, <laughs> you you were out on parental leave for... A fair amount of time. Mm -hmm. How long was it in total? About four months. Yeah. Welcome back, by the way. Thank you. I'm curious on your perspective, either with Ignite or or maybe even more so ThoughtBot overall, how was it being away and and what surprised you when you came back? So, So a couple of things. We were a smaller team in the beginning of this year. We knew that we were going to have to be sort of iterative with our approach to refining our positioning as a team and sort of understanding all these things that we're talking about, like our clients and our customers and who we're going to work with, how we're going to work with them, um, how we're going to deliver value. We knew that we were going to have to be iterative. So, you know, we went through some phases this year. We were we were kind of experimental and kind of applied our validation processes to Ignite as a business. And we learned a ton of stuff and we're in a we're going in a great direction. And then I was out for four months. And so there was this kind of like <laughs> gap. And I tried very hard not to check my email. I mostly did a good job of it. And so I was telling Diana, our CEO, earlier that I feel a little bit like we're going into 2022 sort of with a fresh start, mm-hmm. even though we have this whole year behind us that we learned from we kind of got to a point where we're going in a particular direction now and we validated enough and felt strongly enough about the direction that we're going in that we're kind of like hitting the ground running now mm-hmm. going into next year. And I don't know what I assumed. Maybe I assumed that we would have sort of established a little bit more this year uh, in the direction that we initially intended. And it's not like a far departure. It's just that, you know, it it certainly evolved beyond um, what I was imagining initially, um, like from the technical perspective, for instance. Well, you know, even, even in Ignite, which is pretty short client cycles, mm-hmm. you know, we're not so huge. <laughs> you know, Ignite might do like 12 projects in a year, and that might be a lot. Right. So we get a lot of opportunity to try new things um, and the cycle time isn't that long, but it's not super fast paced and it's not super high volume. So it does take some time to refine things based on what we learn, even in Ignite, which is which is typically faster cycles. Yeah, that's true. If you, yeah. If you think of it that way, like a lot of our projects, if we're doing an MVP launch, for instance, it's like about a quarter along. Mm hmm. 
And if we only do a couple of those every quarter, you know, it takes those whole sort of cycles to be able to look at things in retrospect. I agree. It takes a little bit longer to sort of learn overall. I like the way that you put it too. Like when you really look back and think of it, even though we do a lot of what you would consider like rapid, you know, projects, it's still going to take some time to learn. And I think mm-hmm. overall, and, and and I I think this is true for all of our teams and, and our whole company, the year has been so positive and we've learned so much and everyone is feeling really strong, I think, in their positioning and going forward into the next year. Again, it's been it's been good. It's been certainly challenging, but good. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I think there's been certain things about this year that have been challenging, I think. And we've talked about it on previous episodes, some of them, like just in general, I think I got the sense that there, we transitioned from being tired of the current sort of pandemic situation and, and, and working situation to actually being like upset and angry about it, which was a really weird transition. And I think it made just work in general challenging sometimes. We also had the challenges of fairly high turnover this year at, at, at the company, like a lot of companies have had. Are The reasons why it happens at ThoughtBot might be different than other companies, but it's something that people in general have. And sometimes that can make it hard to get ahead. But because we were having such a positive year overall, it was this weird sort of dichotomy of general success and positive change and all this stuff. But at the same time, you know, people were still leaving the company and that can make it challenging. The silver lining is for a team like Ignite, even though that can be super challenging, you're in your early days and now you're getting the opportunity to the new people being added to the team are doing it with different expectations and you're able to shape the team into what it needs to be today. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. There's been an interesting sort of, it seems like there was a sort of influx this year in sort of excitement and readiness to get back into building products and, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, working on their ideas from a client perspective. But our teams, you know, were just coming off of a very hard year. People were coming off of a very hard year. So a lot of exhausted people sort of trying to show up and be positive and like work through these all, all, all this sort of excitement and, um, and movement in, in the industry. So it's kind of like parental leave. <laughs> You're totally exhausted, but you're showing up. Yeah. So it's good. Well, Don, thanks for stopping by the show and and joining me and and talking to me about Ignite and beyond. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this has been really fun. If folks want to get in touch with you or follow along with you, where are the different places that they can do that? Um, Let's see. Well, I have an email address that is Dawn, D-A-W-N, at ThoughtBot.com. I have a Twitter. I'm pretty sure that my handle is Dawn Dig. Um, (laughs) Why Why I don't know this off the top of my head? I haven't looked at my handle in a very long time. Uh, yeah, Dawn Dig. So D-A-W-N-D-I-G. LinkedIn is just my name and it's pronounced Delat. 
And you can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. You can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Mandy Moore. Thanks for listening and see you next time.